Well, it's a blessing to be here. I'm uh, honored to speak to the people of God in this house. Amen. Well, most of y'all know who I am, I'm sure. Um, put that down there. How many of y'all know who I am? How many of y'all don't? <laughs> Very few. One or two. Okay, back there. Well, so I'm, I'm just part of the family. You know what? I thank God that uh, I've been able to become a successful motorcycle racer, a, a world champion at times back in the late, eight, early 80s. But you know what? I'm just, a, I'm just a brother and sister. A brother. I'm not a sister. A brother. And um, it's just really good being here and, and, uh, in the house of God. Let me get everything opened up here. And uh, when Bert called me and told me he was going to be in Australia and asked me if I could come, I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I love coming here. And I love Bert and Becky so much because they've been close, like Becky said, for so many years. And they've uh, really impacted my life for good in so many ways. Well, I'm honored. I'm so honored. And as I get through my message, I'm going to be speaking a little bit about this. To have my daughter and my youngest son in the audience. Y'all stand up, Jonathan and Whitney. Please stand up. My daughter and my youngest son. And my... My grandsons are back in the, the children's church, and I have my best friend and my cousin right here, Ricky Lynn. Ricky, stand up, brother. Stand up, Ricky Lynn. We, um, we've been joined at the hip, so to speak, since we've been young folks, young men. Now we're old men. But, um, you know, it's amazing how God does things in life because I was wild. I was a hellion. I was... Um, I did a lot of wild things back in my day. I ran from the police a lot. I did a lot of things on my motorcycle in McAllen, and Ricky was right with me. He was right there. He's a, he, he's a, yeah, he was. He's a few years younger than me, but um, we were both pretty wild back in the day. We lived very fast in the world. But I got saved, and I had a radical conversion, as some of y'all know. And some years later, Richard got saved, and now we... We're best buds still and walk with the Lord and uh, enjoy life and have fun and do a lot of good things. But you know what? I want to just, um, before I go on, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Is there anybody else in here that are my friends other than Ron Carball? Ron Carball, that man back there. Ron, stand up for me, buddy. Ron, thank you. Ron's a former, he's a former Honda team, team Honda as well. And Ron was a team Honda. He was in administration and he took care of us when we were, racing and uh he rode back in my day what's that okay yeah but ron was a former rider back in the day early in the days but uh, so it's so good to have ron here and i guess there's nobody else on my facebook feed that's here i invited there there introduce yourself brother nice to have you here you got my message on facebook awesome good good having you here with us Boy, I'm having a little dry time here. Excuse me. And as I was, I was seeking the Lord and just saying, God, what would you want me to share? What would you have me share to your precious people? And I'm going to share from you to you a word from my heart that I know the Holy Spirit put on my heart, but it's also things that I've experienced in life. So this is going to kind of be a... The word of the Lord for you to encourage you, to help you, to see certain things that I believe God has given me, but also it's something I've experienced. 
And whenever we go through a life experience, it does something to us. It, it really gives us a purpose and a direction. And um, so this is going to be somewhat like a word but an experience. And it's going to be a little, a little bit challenging in the beginning in the sense of we're going to talk a little bit about hardship. Hardship. You know, you see me up there on the screen, and yes, I've been known around the world. I am blown away how God has honored me in the motorcycle racing world. It seems like every two or three years, a new article will come out about me, and I'm going, really, was, was I that good? I didn't remember it. And right now, today, if you go to Barnes & Nobles and buy the, the motorcycle magazine Classic Racer in Barnes & Noble, edition 166, there's a 10-page article about me. And I'm going, really? I mean, that's 40 years ago, God. But you know what? God knows how to keep us where we need to be. And he wants to lift us up in our vein of life, in our sphere of life. My brother, my sister, he wants to build you up. My cousin is lifted up in his sphere of life, in his business. He's very well known. He's known as, as his character. He's, his character is known. And he goes certain places and they call him Foghorn because everybody else is saying bad words around him and he won't cuss. He won't do anything but just bless, be a blessing to people. And I mean, you and I are called to be light, to be light to the world, to let Jesus Christ shine. But sometimes, in fact, all the time, it seems like all through Scripture I read, there is a portion of suffering, of hardship, of challenges. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Is there anybody here that knows what I'm talking about? And, and Paul said to Timothy, endure, endure hardship as a good soldier. I never thought in my wildest dreams when I came to Christ that I would go through the things that I've gone through. You see me here on the screen and all that, but I know, I know the suffering of the soul, the suffering of the flesh, the challenges that I've faced that you don't know. And I don't know your challenges, but I'm going to tell you, my friend, God does. God knows our challenges, and he is our ever-present help in the time of trouble. And we must always grab hold of that and realize, God, though I may be going through hardship, they, I, may, I may be going through suffering, you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. We've got to hang on to that. And I know what it's like because through the scripture it says we have fellowship in his sufferings. We share in his sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings for his name's sake. You know, many people today are suffering. A lot of people are suffering from loneliness, sickness, financial challenges, hardships because of mistakes, because of failure, because of habits. Many people are suffering because of, of our own fault, but also suffering because it's just the way it is. Jesus said it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. Life happens, amen? Life happens. We go through challenges sometimes because of ourselves, because what we do, it's called foolishness. Y'all have been there, done that? But also we go through suffering sometimes because of some circumstance that we have nothing to do with. But no matter what, no matter what we're facing, our eyes must be on the king, on the king. And as long as we keep our eyes on him, we're going to be able to walk free and have hope in our heart. You know, 
the foolish things that I've done. I've done quite a few. I've been in this world for 35 years now as a Christian, but I've made a lot of mistakes. I've walked through a lot of challenges, but I can tell you glory to God. Jesus Christ is bigger in my life than ever before, and I'm on fire for him more than ever before. But the beautiful thing is, these days, it's not zeal without knowledge. Glory to God. It's zeal with knowledge. Knowing when to shut up. You know, I used to feel like I had to give, give my opinion about everything. I felt like I was right about everything. None of y'all have ever been that way, I'm sure. But, I mean, if somebody said something, I had to say something back. You know, I've learned a lot. It's just much better sometimes to shut up. <laughs> Steve, be quiet. Thank God I've learned that. But it took me a long time. It took me a long time just to learn to rest, to rest in God, and to know that he's going to work it out. He's going to work out all things together for good for me and for you as we keep our eyes on him. But one of the biggest mistakes I made, one of the biggest mistakes I made, I did not honor my father. I did not honor my father. And you know, Pastor Bert, 10 years ago, we would talk about this, and I would get so frustrated with my father, my earthly father. He's a strong man. And uh, he didn't um, do the things, say the things to me that I felt like he should. And I was wealthy, had plenty of money. He had plenty of money. So I just went, okay, no problem. And I did my thing. We wouldn't talk sometimes for years. I'm an only child. I'm an only son. And I treated my dad so unchristlike. I would say some terrible things to my dad. One day, one day I told him, you're going to go to hell. Nobody tells Gary why is that, I promise you. But I did. And uh, I was not in the spirit, but I was religious. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's many years ago, thank God. But you know, over the past few years, the past three, two, three years, we've become closer and closer. In the last six months, God has bonded us like never before. And now my dad and I can sit down and talk and have a good conversation. And it's amazing because the Bible says in Ephesians 6.1, you want to put that up there, Ephesians 6.1, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. I'm sorry, verse 2 and 3. So that, so that it may go well with you and you live long on the earth. You know, and I was talking to Pastor Bert before this weekend and I shared with him, I was going to share this as a portion of my message. And he said to me, you know what, I did not know how to do that either for a long time. But Becky taught me how to love my mom and dad. He said, Becky taught me everything about honoring my father and my mother. God bless your sister. And he said, I want you to share that. Because you know what? If we are not honoring our parents, I don't care what they're doing, who they are. If we're not loving them correctly and honoring them correctly and speaking blessing over them, then we are wrong. We're in the wrong place. And the Bible says it may not go well with us. It may not go well with us. 
And I can look back at some of my mistakes in life because of the lack of wisdom, not being able, because I had too much pride, going and trying to talk to my father and say, Dad, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I would have been so much better off. But you know what? That pride gets in the way if you know what I'm talking about. But pride, what's it do? It goes before a fall. I apologize to you. I'm kind of dry this morning. I don't know why, but we'll get through it. My dad, my dad was a, is a hard man sometimes. But one night, about a year ago, I was in prayer about 3 in the morning, and I was just crying out to God for my dad and just for different things. And I didn't have an outward vision, but so clear in my mind, so clear in my mind, I saw my grandmother, Eunice Pearl Wise. I saw her walking to the house of Jesus in heaven and knocking on his door and saying to Jesus, don't forget my son. Don't forget my son. And I remember that. Today I remember that vividly. And there was a time about a year and a half ago when my dad and I were trying to kind of conform to each other and trying to understand each other. And I was able to tell him that. And he broke and he had to leave the room because he was fixing to weep and cry. And that was the beginning about a year and a half ago really was the beginning of a big breakthrough in our relationship in the Lord. But I'm telling you, my friend, my friends, we go through much hardship because we bring it on ourselves. We bring it on ourselves. When we're not kind and loving and gentle and gracious, especially honoring our father and our mother. And never again, never again will I curse my father. Never again will I say a negative word. Or I might laugh and joke and about funny idiosyncrasies that he might have in life. But never, never will I dishonor him. Never. Because the Bible says, if we honor our parents, it will go well with us. How many of y'all want life to go well with you? How many of y'all? Yeah, amen. Only one, two. <laughs> I want life to go well with me. Glory to God. And we will live long in the earth. Long in the earth. I know that's what I want. My two precious grandchildren. I want to be there for them. I want to be around for them when I'm an older man. And when they get older. And I can talk to them about life and love them. And encourage them. So we must do a few things to have a life that's productive. There are things that we must do. Yes, we have faith. Yes, we speak about the Lord. Yes, we love God. But we must be doers of the word. Amen? I know you all hear that all the time here. We must be doers of the word. Well, going back to 2 Timothy where Paul said, endure hardship. Endure hardship as a good soldier. How many of you know you are soldiers in the kingdom of God? Soldiers in the kingdom. You are a soldier in the greatest kingdom in the world, in the history of the earth, the history of the universe. You are a soldier, my brother and my sister. And so many times, especially I would say myself, because I lived in a, a world that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do in, in front of others and being a professional racer and so forth, so many, I might, I might have not understood certain things that God's showing me now, but listen, the Bible says the littlest is the greatest in the kingdom of God. The smallest is the greatest. 
And some of us uh, at times might, I might think, well, if I'm not really seeing people get healed and, and I'm t- not talking to people, I'm not on fire for God and speaking to people in churches and so forth, you know, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Well, that's not true. I want you to know if you're a housewife, if you're a mother cleaning the house, God is right there with you in that part of life. You're a soldier in the kingdom of God. And so many times we in the, in the word movement and glory to God for the miracles, glory to God for the power of God. My friend, God is right there in our life, whatever we're doing all the time, right there with us in the middle of our junk in the middle of our dirty hair and taking showers. He's right there in the middle of that. And I don't want you to forget it because you have the leadership, no doubt, in church. But there's also in a army, there's the soldiers. But there's, there's the line of supply. The line of supply. And without that line of supply, the soldiers on the front lines cannot operate. Amen? So everybody, everybody in the body of Christ is just as important. We're all part of this body, and we work together. And I don't want you to ever feel inadequate or discounted or feel insecure about who you are, even if it's the meanest, meaningless job, the smallest job, the littlest thing that you might think in your life, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not able to go there. I'm not able to go there. I'm not able to, to speak to the people you are. It doesn't matter. You're part of the body. You're a soldier. I want you to call yourself a soldier. We are soldiers. And it's a war we're in. We're in a fight. We're in a fight of faith. A brother named Lawrence, Brother Lawrence wrote a book about the book was called Practicing the Presence of God. He was a cook, and he was a dishwasher, and he kept a garden. And in the book he said, in his ordinary, rather lowly daily life, he found God was ever-present and glad to fellowship with him when he was in the kitchen. Isn't that amazing? Our life is just as important in the kitchen is out in front of thousands of people when we're honoring God and doing what we're called to do. That, that amazes me about God because this is a big old world if you haven't found out yet. It's a big old world. And the body of Christ is made up of a lot of different people that have a lot of different desires and have different directions. I read a testimony that Dahlia posted on uh, Facebook about how God intervened in a little bitty thing that she was surprised at, but she wrote how God intervened in this situation in her life that was so incredible and beautiful. And you posted that, Dahlia, on, on Facebook. It was awesome. God cares about the smallest things in our life. And sometimes things don't happen nearly as big and grandiose as we think they should. You know, I was thinking about Jesus in Mark 4 in the boat with his apostles. And they're on the boat, and the boat's in the storm, going up and down the storm all over the place, and Jesus is back there asleep. And his apostles wake him up, Lord, Lord, don't you care about us? And Jesus, of course, we know the story. Jesus rebuked the storm. Peace be still. Everything died down, became calm. Everything was good. 
And sometimes we, myself especially, I think, God, where are those miracles, Lord? I want to see those miracles. I want to see that, that happen in my life. And I have seen some miracles. I've seen some neat things. But not always. But then we go transfer into the life of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 27 and 28, what happened to him then? He was in a storm. Paul was in a storm with 287 men. They're on the boat, the ship. The boat's in the storm all around, beaten up, and the winds are blustering against the boat. Now, I'm sure Paul heard about this glorious story of Jesus Christ. But you know what? God didn't stop the storm. I'm sure Paul got out there and said, Wind, I tell you, stop in Jesus' name. But apparently, nothing happened. But what happened? God's will was done. Because the boat eventually, they threw over all the tackle, all the feed, all the wheat. But the boat eventually ended up crashing on the island of Malta. And what happened? Paul walks in there and they're around all the tribesmen and the native people. And they're sitting by a fire. And a snake comes out of the fire and bites Paul in the hand. Now, he was shipwrecked, and now a snake bites him. And even the tribesmen, the native people said, he must be an evil man. Because look what happened, he's cursed. A snake bit him. His ship was wrecked. But Paul knew who he was in God. He knew that no weapon formed against him was going to prosper. He knew that whatever happened in his life, he was going to believe God to the fulfillment of the blessing of God. He was going to believe for good to come out of whatever bad came about in his life. Do we do that? Do we do that? That's what I want to encourage us to do. And then Paul, in Acts 27, had a great ministry with the native people there. And people were saved and healed. You know what? It all didn't turn out exactly like we want it to at times. Amen? How many of y'all have gone through that in life? Nothing always, it doesn't always turn out like we want. We believe and we stand and we stand, and we stand, and then we trust, we trust, we trust. Because sometimes what we want isn't exactly what we need. And I read about this with Paul, and I just think that is so awesome. So I'm going to pray and believe. I'm going to stand and believe. Even in hardship, even in tough times, even in suffering, I'm going to stand and believe that God is able to work out all things for me. And for you. And we can do that, my brother and my sister. We must stand because we all are going to have suffering in life. We all are going to have especially soul suffering. We may not go through suffering in the flesh like some of our other brothers and sisters are around the world. But we're all going to have that inner suffering of the soul. But that causes growth. Because suffering, Paul says in Romans, brings about character. When we are suffering, it changes our character. And then our character changes our hope. And when we have hope, I'm telling you, my friend, nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. So we must endure hardship as a good soldier. But coming from my background, even in Christianity, and Bert and Becky know, we've been friends for over 30 years, but there was a time when we weren't so close because I was really, I got into a legalistic type of ministry, and I, 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 I kind of focused myself on, I had to do this, I had to do that, and I didn't really, I kind of left 
the absolute grace and the unmerited favor of God. And my precious kids were raised up under that law-type ministry. And I thank God they've come out of it too. I'm so thankful. But I was more of a, you better do this, you better do that, you better do this. And I know we must do things. But I'm telling you, my friend, we have to be saturated. And our foundation must be on the grace of God for us to be able to endure hardship. It's got to be on the grace of God, which is unmerited favor. Can you accept this? God is never mad at us. Can you accept that? Never. Never. He's love. It's us is a problem. It's not God. God is never mad. That's, that's been a hard thing for me to grasp at times. God is never mad at me. My whole life was based on performance, performance, performance. Everything was based on performance, and I expected everybody else to perform too. And in a job, we have to do that, but I mean, I'm talking and making money and so forth. But as far as our salvation, as far as our security, as far as our stability in God, in Jesus Christ, it must be based on unmerited favor, undeserved favor, totally and completely. And if we're not there, hardship's going to be very hard. It's going to be tough. I spoke this when I spoke here a couple years ago. I went into the scripture in depth, but I want to touch on it lightly. But I love the story of the prodigal son. I love that story because Jesus was giving us the character of the father, the character of the father. And I just think about the prodigal son when he left his house with his riches and half of his inheritance, or his inheritance, half of his father's kingdom. And he squandered all his money debasing himself and partying and riotous living. And he wakes up in the pig pen and goes, my God, even the servants have it better in my father's house. And he shook himself and he got up and he walks back to his father's house. But the father is looking every day. And I'm sure the father sent out servants to try to find him. That's not in the scripture, but I'm sure he did to try to find his son. But when that father saw the son walking over the hill, and I could see the son walking back over that hill, so beat down, so distressed, thinking to himself, I can't believe what I did. I wasted everything my father gave me. I can't believe I did this. I can imagine the condemnation, the feelings of guilt and despair that he was feeling. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did this. None of y'all have ever had that feeling, have you? I can imagine the son walking back to the house and the father seeing him and the father ran to the son. And the Bible says in Luke 15, he kissed him. And in the original Greek, it, it defers to he kept kissing him, kept kissing him, kept kissing him. And he told his servants, you go get my most expensive robe and a ring and put it on his finger. And the son said, father, father, forgive me. The father never mentioned his sin one time. Not once. Not once. So unlike a lot of Christianity today, you come get there and you bow on your knees and you get on your knees and you humble yourself before God. No more for me. <laughs> no more for me. I want to hear stuff like that. I have a father. You have a father who loves us so unconditionally. And he never changes and he never gets mad. 
That's the character of Jesus. Everything I read in the Bible must come through the cross. Everything must come through the cross. And I want you to know there was no condemnation. There was no, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you did that. How dare you leave the family? You bow down in shame. No, no, none of that, my friend. Whenever we feel shame and anguish and these feelings of negativity and how bad we are, that is not from your heavenly father. That is not. That's from the enemy or from our own selves, condemning ourselves, condemning ourselves. And we can do pretty good at that sometimes, beat ourselves down because of our mistakes. And God Almighty is never doing that, ever, ever. Just as amazes me. Can you put that quote up there, Rebecca? I want to read this to you. I want to see that quote. Religion says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Religion says, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. My gosh. I'm saying every day, God, I want that grace in your love and that character in my heart more and more and more. And I tell you all that, you call me anytime. And they do. Praise God. I've told my kids for years, there's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. But there was things that I did that challenged them. And I could tell you after many years to have my two children, and my third one is in California, and we're very close, right in the palm of my hand again is such a blessing. But it took many years because 10 years ago, I went through some major challenges. I made some major mistakes. But God is able to restore what the canker worm has eaten, and he did right there. He did. Jesus did not come to condemn us at all. The Apostle Paul says, who is he who condemns? It's not God. It's God who justifies. It's God who makes, makes us righteous. It's not God. But so many people I've talked to, they say, but man, Steve, I've messed up so much. I've, I've messed up so much. I've sinned every day. I mess up every day. What, what do I do? What did Jesus say? When Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times do we forgive them? Seven? Seven, Lord? No. Seventy times seven. And that's only a metaphor. Because God's mercies are not only new every morning, they're new every hour, every minute, and every second. Every second. Because as I heard Pastor Birch so eloquently preach a couple years ago, faith is now. Right now. Forgiveness is right now. Love is right now. Whenever we turn and say, Lord, I receive it. He's right there. No matter what anyone has done, he's right there. No matter how many times we go through or go around the mountain, he's right there. Oh, it's costly. There's no doubt. Mistakes are costly. But your heavenly Father is right there for you at all times. At all times. And I pray we learn from those mistakes and we don't do them again. Well, y'all are quiet today. I hope I'm talking to you. So what do we do to escape our hardships? What do we do to escape suffering? What do we need to do? Well, let's read what Paul said about it. 
First of all, we talked about Paul being shipwrecked and stoned and beaten, left for dead. Paul had one of the greatest experiences as a Christian man, writing two-thirds of the New Testament. But Paul, we know, had this incredible conversion. The light came down and beamed on him in Acts chapter 8, and he heard the voice of the Son of God saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Lord, who are you? We know Paul's conversion, it was from darkness to light. He saw the light of God in his face. So you would think that Paul would be so stable in his relationship. You would think that Paul wouldn't need anybody. You would think that Paul didn't even really care for the prayers of other people because he was strong in himself. You know, Paul asked for prayer all the time, six times. In the epistles, Paul asked for prayer. He asked the people that were lower than him, that were his, his yearlings, his underlings, so to speak, his disciples. He was asking them to pray for him. The great apostle Paul needed prayer, wanted prayer, asked for prayer. That kind of amazed me as I began studying this a while back. And then when we read the book of Philippians chapter 1, an account that it's pretty incredible to me, showing us how important your prayers are and my prayers. Paul said, for I know that through your prayers and the provision of God's Spirit, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul was in hardship. Paul was in prison, as we know. He had kind of a rough life. He had a very tough time at certain points in his life. But he continually walked in the joy of the Lord no matter where he was and what was happening to him. He kept his eyes on Jesus. But Paul said, for I know that through your prayer, your prayer, I'm going to be delivered. Through your prayers. That amazed me because the Philippian church is a church that Paul founded. And he was the apostle over that church. He was asking brand new Christians, pray for me. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Paul knew the importance of prayer. He knew it. Because Paul knew the prayers of the righteous man or woman are powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. But how the world tries to get us so busy with everything not to pray don't go to church. Don't get in fellowship. Let me tell you, my brother and sister, we must stay together. We must stay together and encourage each other and strengthen one another because we need to be reminded of who we are continually. I've been in this thing for 35 years. I have to remind myself all the time. And I don't know, Pastor Burton, Pastor Becky, do you too? We always remind ourselves. Peter talked about, remind yourself, stir up your way. Amanda talked about it. Stir ourselves up. Stir ourselves up. We have to keep stirring ourselves up and remember who we really are. We're the kings under the king. We're the kings under the king. Who is the king of kings? Jesus Christ. Who are the kings that is king over? You and me. Who are the lords he's lord over? You and me. We are kings and priests in this earth. And when we walk in the spirit, my friend, the devil has no way to touch our lives. He might bring tribulation, trouble, but in our heart, glory to God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to worship you. I don't care, Father. I don't care. The Apostle Paul said to, to 
Trials, he said, bring it on. I don't care. I'm not there yet, but that's what Apostle Paul said. Bring it on. The prayers of the righteous person are powerful and effective. Don't allow yourself to be distracted from prayer and from fellowship in the Spirit. Because Paul said, because of your prayers, because of your prayers, I was delivered out of my hardship. I don't know about you, but that does something to me. That encourages me to pray. You know who I pray for? First and foremost, my children. And then my family, extended family. And then other people that God puts in my way. And then, last but not least, my enemies. They're at the the bottom. (laughs) But I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to call upon his name. Because I know my prayers are effective. I've seen them work. They're back there in my fold. They're working. My prayers are working in many ways. Maybe not quite as fast as my fleshly mind would want them to, but I'm seeing things happen in my life, especially now that my father and I are reunited and I'm honoring him. Especially. Ron knows my dad. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. Ron's been with me in this battle too. Well, you know what? I had a praying grandmother. I had a praying grandmother, Pearl Eunice Wise. And I'm going to tell the story and then I'll close. You know, you saw me racing there. You saw those videos. My career didn't really take off until 1979. 1979 was my career took off. I won the New Orleans Superdome and the New Orleans Stadium. Then I won two of those Carlsbad races. And then I went on into road racing and, and so forth. But I had a praying grandmother who prayed continually for me. And when I'd come back from the races and I'd go over to her house and eat, she would tell me, Steve, you should have heard what the preacher said Sunday. You should have heard what he said Sunday. Steve, you need to serve the Lord. You need to serve the Lord. And I'll never forget, I would fly some girlfriends down from somewhere, and there was this one girl who came from North Carolina down, and I lived right next door to my grandmother. And I took that girl over there for lunch one day, and man, I'll tell you what, my, we were sitting at the table, darling, do you know the Lord is your Savior? <laughs> It was so funny. I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh. And uh, she left the next day. But she, anyway, she said, I can't stay around here. My grandmother was on fire for Jesus, but she was so full of love and joy. And my grandmother prayed for me all the time, prayed for Ricky all the time. I could tell some stories about him, too, but I'll, I'll pass. Well, you know what? In 1979 was my career really took off. But 1978 was my first year as a factory Honda rider, and I had a contract with them. And I was fixing to sign a brand new contract for 79. And those guys today make $10 million a year. We didn't make that much, but they make a ton nowadays. Amazing. They were on TV last night. I watched them. It's amazing what, how the sport has grown. But, you know, my grandmother saved my life in more ways than one. In 1978, in the summer of 78, because all racers had to do it, I had to buy a Porsche. I bought a brand new Porsche, 911 SC Targa. Went in there, wrote a check. <clears throat> Boy, I was in McAllen, Texas, a town of 30,000 people. Nobody even knew what a Porsche was. I had a Porsche, I had an airplane, I had a jet boat, I had a house at 22 years old. And I thought I was pretty something. So anyway, in 1978, toward the fall of 78, I decided that I was going to move to California for six months to live with 
probably one of the best riders in the history of motorcycle racing as well, named Marty Tripes. And I was going to live with him and ride with him at the end of 78 to prepare for the 79 season. So I'm packing up my Porsche, you know, Porsche, a little bitty thing. I had my riding gear and my suitcase, and the thing was already squatting down. And a friend of mine called me, and he said, Steve, I hear you're going to California. He said, you know what, my brother lives in San Diego, and I was going to San Diego. He said, would you let me ride with you out to San Diego, and then I'll fly back in a week. I said, sure, it'd be great. You know, you could ride with me, and we could talk and have fun and everything, so... We're driving along, and we come through San Antonio, pass right I-10 on Kerrville, you know, run about 80 miles an hour, and we get over to Las Cruces, and then about 50 miles out of Tucson, we're driving about 80 or 90, and whenever you would drive to California, I've driven to California three times in my life, I've flown hundreds of times, but I drove in 76, 78, and 2000. When I drove to California in 2000, it was a traffic jam the whole way. You could, cars were everywhere. But in 76 and 78, when you would drive to California on I-10, you wouldn't see a car for 20 minutes. Either way, it was, I mean, it was just barren. There wouldn't be a car in sight for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And we're driving along about 90. And Ronnie, my friend, he came up with a great idea. He said, Steve, let's see how fast this thing will go. I said, you know, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So I downshifted to fourth gear and fifth gear and sixth gear. We're going along. We're not seeing anybody, nobody. That Porsche 911 loaded down, it got to 142, 142, and it was just right there. And I was going 142 miles an hour for miles, miles. And I saw this little dot coming, and we're catching it fast. And we go by this car, and I look back, and I saw a bunch of antennas on the back of the car. I went, oh, my God, I wonder what that is. And so I shut down, slowed down, and we're coming into Tucson, and an 18-wheeler driver put his arm out like this and went like this to us, and we stopped, and Ronnie looked, and he said, uh, he pointed like this. So we came over the first overpass into Tucson, and there's three police cars waiting in the median. I go by at 55 miles an hour, you know. All three of the cars pull out, and I, oh, crud. I said a worse word than that, but anyway. So they pulled me over. I pulled over. And I'm sitting there, uh, go back to talk to the officer. There's three, cop, three policemen. And they said, Mr. Wise, you were going really fast back there, sir. How fast were you going? I said, you know, officer, I, I don't remember the exact speed, but, you know, I, I was kind of in a hurry. You sure were. Well, Jack is on his way here. You remember that green car you passed about 20 miles back there? That's Jack. I said, who's Jack? He's the chief of police. I went, oh, my gosh. 20 minutes later, here comes Jack, 55 miles an hour. I'm sitting there waiting. I'm being very nice. Yes, sir. No, sir. And Jack comes in there. He goes, young man, it's a good thing I didn't have radar. You'd be in jail right now. He was upset with me. He said, son, you were going so fast, you flew by me, and you almost spun me around. You'd be in jail right now if I would have radar, and I could have proved you were going how, the speed you were going. He goes, you know what, son, I'm going to let you off, but you better not break the speed limit out of Arizona, because I'm going to radio ahead and look for a white Porsche, and if they see you going one mile an hour over, 
you're going to get in big trouble. Yes, sir. Man, I'm walking back to the car. All right. Get in my car. And my friend Ronnie, where are we going? What's going on? I said, man, they let me off. He went, oh, my gosh. What's, what's the problem? He goes, I have a pound of marijuana in my suitcase that I'm taking to my brother in San Diego. And I went, you, bam! And we got off that freeway right there, and we went to the 7-Eleven, and I opened my trunk, and I got in his suitcase, and I threw that pound of marijuana in the trash can. And I said, if there's anything else, Ronnie, you're going to be, there's no, I mean, I, I, there was some choice words I used, but anyway. Well, they let me off. But, do you know what? In 1978, I was a t- team Honda rider. Do you know what my contract said? If you get caught with any illegal substance or paraphernalia, you're fired immediately. Immediately. Not only would I have been fired that day, you would have never heard of Steve Wise. I would have never gone on to 79 to 83 and had a career, be in the Hall of Fame, and be the Pro Athlete of the Year in 1982. All those awards would have never happened. But I had a praying grandmother. I had a praying grandmother who delivered me, helped me out of my distress. She's the one that prayed for me and helped me. Her prayers saved my life. My friend, your prayers, your prayers, my prayers can save our children and grandchildren's life. We have power in prayer. Don't let the enemy hold you back from praying. Even as Paul said, because of your prayers, I've been delivered. Because of our prayers, people are delivered. Because of this church, people are delivered and helped and led and guided into the Spirit. And that's what this is all about. For you and I to take the kingdom wherever we go, whatever we're doing in our life, to take the kingdom of God where we can to those in need, to those who are hurting to those that God would take us to. And I speak at races all over the country, and I love preaching to churches too, but I go there not to glorify or be glorified of Steve Wise, what he's done. You know what? I don't even care, really and truly, in my heart. I want to be there as a representative of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That's what God's calling each of us to do. And even the lowliest my friend, is the greatest in the kingdom. Even if you think you're lowly, my friend, you're great. You're great. You're great in the kingdom of God. So I'm here to encourage you. Yes, we're going to endure hardship. Endure it as a good soldier. But know there's an answer and there's a deliverance and there's a freedom and there's a blessing on the way as we do that. Amen? Amen.